Come Holy Spirit. Pray that, Lord, you would illuminate these scriptures, this great mystery of the Lord's passion for us. Would speak where your servants are listening. Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Behold the man. Behold the man. These are the words of Pontius Pilate after Jesus was scourged and crowned with thorns. And they led him out before the chief priests and the others who were gathered there. Behold the man. At that moment, Jesus didn't really look very much like a normal man because of just the beating that he had taken from the scourging. His body torn, blood, crown of thorns. So I wonder if, if anyone there, if the, if the chief priests and the scribes, like being men, the, the men and women also there, faithful Jews, right, were familiar with the scriptures, that if they would have had in their mind at that moment these words of the prophet Isaiah that we read in the first reading, or, or if their hearts were so hardened that they couldn't see, like right before them, the prophecy being fulfilled. Pilate says, behold the man. Which man? The prophet Isaiah explains it like this. So marred was his look beyond human semblance, his appearance beyond that of the sons of man. No stately bearing to make us look at him, nor appearance that would attract us to him one from whom people would hide their faces. This is the the prophecy of the coming Messiah, the suffering servant. If If their hearts, right, if their hearts could have been open to see, this is the man before them. Behold the man. The prophet continues, yet it was our offenses he bore, our sufferings he endured. He was pierced for our offenses, crushed for our sins. And upon him was the chastisement that makes us whole. It's an interesting play here, right? You have this, this prophecy of the suffering servant who's fulfilled in Jesus, the Messiah, the one to come to save the world. And Pilate is placing before us, behold the man, Christ, who interiorly, because of being the son, right, the second person of the Trinity united to a human nature, that interiorly he was the perfect man. No stain of sin whatsoever. In perfect communion with God. But exteriorly, what did he look like, right? Marred beyond human resemblance. Now let us compare this to Adam. Adam before the fall Perfect man in communion with the Lord. His human nature, perfect. But 
But after the fall, interiorly marred beyond human appearance. Exteriorly, Adam, you know, would have looked the same, would have seen maybe nothing different, maybe a little bit of a difference of a countenance, right? But interiorly, it was a marring of the soul that was beyond what man, what men and women were created to be. And so you have Adam who exteriorly looks like a man and interiorly has been marred beyond human appearance. You have Christ who interiorly is the perfect man, but in his suffering has taken on the sin of Adam so that physically he looks marred beyond human appearance. For what reason? For our salvation. That upon him was the chastisement that made us whole. And where did he go with this, right? He went to Golgotha, the place of the skull. We mentioned this last night if you were with us. The wages of sin is death, right? And so this, this place of the skull is, is, was a reminder of the reality that sin brought forth death. But what, is, what happens with Jesus? We see St. Paul, what he, he speaks of in his letter to the Philippians, this contrasting of Adam and Jesus again. That Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not deem equality with God something to be grasped, right? He did not grasp at the fruit of the tree like Adam. But instead, he humbled himself even to the point of death. And so he allowed himself to be crucified on that tree. And that tree was planted. The cross was planted in Golgotha, the place of the skull, to defeat death, to defeat the effects of sin. And then from there, where do they take Jesus? They place him in the tomb. And where was the tomb? In a garden. In a garden. Why? Because the first sin was in a garden where death entered the world. And so Jesus is buried in a garden and he enters into the earth, remembering Remembering that God like took the dust of the earth, right, and formed man and woman and breathed life into them. And so Jesus, as he's taking upon the sin of us all, as he's taking upon the sin of Adam and Eve, that he is planted on that tree, the tree of life in Golgotha. And then he is buried into the earth in the garden. For what reason? To rise again, to defeat the enemy of Satan and death for us to purify our hearts and to raise us again in a sense, a true resurrection so that we could be in communion with the Lord again. And this is what we read in the Passion. This very act of rescue, this very act of love. What is one thing that Jesus tells us while he is on the cross, as we are beholding the man, he says, I thirst. I thirst. Pope Benedict would tell us that Christ's thirst is an entranceway into the mystery of God. Hear that again. Christ's thirst is an entranceway into the mystery of God. 
Because it was his thirst that led him to the cross to offer his life for us. And countless saints in the church over and over says, what is Jesus' ultimate thirst? He's not just this physical thirst on the cross, but he is thirsty for our faith. He is thirsty for our trust. He is thirsty most of all for our love. The Lord thirsts for our love. Brothers and sisters, if you want to know, if we want to know how the Lord loves us, these two words, as Pope Benedict said, are an entranceway into this mystery. This longing, this longing of God for us of thirst. I mean, think of it, when you're really thirsty, and I mean really thirsty, you can't think of anything else but just give me something to drink. Just, I don't care who's talking to me. I don't care what's going on. Like when I'm really thirsty, just stop talking. Give me something to drink. And this is this passion and this longing that the Lord has for us. And I'm going to finish with this. That as we're meditating today on Jesus offering his life for us on the cross, as we behold the man, we behold the man who has taken our chastisements upon himself for our own salvation, that we would hear his cry, that we would that we'd be still enough in our hearts to hear his cry of thirst for us. And, and I want to just use these words of Mother Teresa. She says, it is very important for us to know that Jesus is thirsting for our love, for the love of the whole world. Ask yourself, have I heard Jesus directly say this word to me personally? Did I ever hear that word personally? I thirst. I want your love. She says, if not, examine yourself. Why could we not hear it? Have I ever heard it? Have you ever heard it personally? The Lord crying from the cross for us, I thirst for your heart. She continues. She says, he longs for you. He thirsts for you. My children, once you have experienced the thirst, the love of Jesus for you, you will never need you will never thirst for the things which can only lead you away from Jesus, the true and living fountain. Only the thirst of Jesus, feeling it, hearing it, answering it with all your heart will keep your love alive. The closer you come to Jesus, the better you will know his thirst. Today as we venerate the cross, let us pray for the grace. Let us pray that the Holy Spirit may give us the grace to gaze upon the man, to behold the man. That as we do so, that we would hear him cry out to us, I thirst. I thirst for your love. Let us respond to him, Jesus I love you too. And I give you my life.